This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is Dan Kadar, joined by Nate Ulrich as always. We are recording here uh, quickly again after last week's episode because the Browns are going to be hiring Andrew Berry as their general manager uh, and executive vice president of player personnel. I got that right, Nate, right? Uh, almost uh, executive oh. vice president of football operations. There we go. Yeah. So he has a, a fancy, fancy title here for the Browns, or he will rather. The announcement is going to come shortly after we finish recording, most likely today. We're recording about quarter till two on Monday. So uh, we'll, we'll get into some stuff about what Andrew Barry needs to do this offseason, what his priorities should be now that he is the man in charge of the Browns. But, Nate, let's let's just get to the news of the hire first. It came out that George Payton from the Minnesota Vikings, who we talked about quite a bit last week, we really thought, at least I did, that he was going to be the guy. He, he said no. And the, so, in my mind, Andrew Barry is now a fallback. We talked about Barry some last week, too, but... What's your impressions of of the hire and when it happened? And Barry, is is he truly a fallback option, or did the Browns really only need to interview him once? That kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on the Barry hire in general? Well, you know, heading in, I thought he was for sure the favorite heading into this whole process. After they hired Kevin Stefanski and they're ready to begin the GM search in earnest with Stefanski aboard, uh, the search committee, I thought that Andrew Barry was a favorite, but you know, once they brought George Payton back for that second interview, and we talked about this a lot on the last podcast, I thought he had emerged as the front runner mm-hmm. because of all those years, 13 of them working with Stefanski, the second interview means that this was a dead serious courtship, and it looked like it was going to be him except for his history of turning down many opportunities, backing out of other, uh, you know, other opportunities to, to become a GM over the year. And, and I talked about that on the last podcast, like, Hey, yeah, it looks like George Payton right now, but it's not over till it's over. And he has this history of, of going down this road and, and not becoming the GM. Like I cited the, uh, example, uh, from 2012 when he was, um, you know, doing two interviews with the Rams and, uh, you know, did not get the job, um, got a promotion instead to stay with the Vikings, became their assistant GM. Uh, he was VP of player personnel before that, I believe. So, yeah, Friday, all eyes turned to Andrew Barry when George Payton, history repeated itself and that he, um, you know, withdrew from the running and was no longer an option for the Browns. And it was kind of a, a weird weekend because, you know, like I had my Andrew Berry story written and ready to roll and, and, and 
thought that it might happen at any time. My my brother turned 30, which is a pretty big birthday, you know, mm-hmm. not 40, but, you know, sure. 30's decent, and he wanted to go bowling. So, you know, we're, we went bowling in Kent, um, and, you know, it was a good time and everything, and, you know, I was there with my family, but also there with my laptop, you know, because I thought that this Andrew Berry thing really could happen any minute, and uh, lo and behold, it happened today instead of over the weekend. So, um that's where we're at with it now. Um, it's a five-year deal, which is important to know because Stefanski also received a five-year deal. So, you know, you, you lock them up together. Um, not saying that the Haslam's won't pull the plug after a year or two like they have so many times before. Uh, but, you know, at least on paper now, you have coach and GM coming together, five-year deal. And and the thing about it is, like, I view Barry's the favorite. Then I started to think Peyton was a front runner, And then it came back to Barry and in, was he really the fallback hard to know I just know that Stefanski probably wanted to be with the guy he knew best um, it doesn't mean he didn't want to be with Barry but if he had his top choice it'd be hard to believe that it wouldn't be paid in because of those 13 years in Minnesota all that bonding that was done there the relationship that had been built he did get to know Barry Barry supported him last year along with Paul D. Podesta they wanted uh, Stefanski to win that uh, head coaching uh, job last year and obviously went to Freddie Kitchens and said, well, now they're all three together. So that's kind of the way I view it. I, if I had to bet, I'd say that, you know, George Payne would have been Stefanski's first choice, but that he, he was he was good with Barry as well. And, and back, uh, you know, more than two weeks ago, you know, there was a report from Sports Illustrated that, that Stefanski had Barry and Payton on his GM wish list. Like when the Browns were going through their interviews with head coaching candidates and guys were telling them who they would like to have as potential GM so they could line up the interviews. Um, those were the guys Stefanski submitted to the Browns. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the alignment is the buzzword uh, because Jimmy Haslam said on January 2nd, that's what he's really looking for. We know about all the power struggles, the, the infighting and all that that's plagued the Browns for a long time now, especially under the Haslam's. Um, you know, I think that they believe that alignment can be achieved here with, with D. Podesta and Barry, obviously those guys who know each other well and worked together in Cleveland before, but also with Stefanski, who was favored by both those guys, you know, a year ago in that head coaching search, and all these guys are on board with analytics, and um, they think that it makes sense from that standpoint. Hmm. I, I think it does, too, from from the everybody on the same page aspect of things, but, you know, it it, it made me think of a, a an issue over the weekend, and this is the classic, you know, thing about the Browns universe, basically, of you always think of, like, the, what's the worst that could happen here? And a friend and I were talking, like, why is it taking so long? Um, that, that kind of line of, of discussion. But we, we got to wondering, like, no matter who they hire at this point, and we, we thought it would be Andrew Barry just because it, it makes sense, and that's what it was. But we got to wondering, like, okay, you have the head coach that's going to, you know, he goes up to the owner in the line of the organizational chart. The general manager goes up to the owner, Paul D. Podesta goes up to the owner. So it's not the classic NFL structure of, you know, the GM's in charge, the coach reports to the GM, et, et cetera. 
So the, the question became, what happens if there's, you know, who breaks a tie? If, if there's a disagreement on a player or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that's kind of what it, it makes me wonder about this structure. While, you know, there there is some linear alignment, if you will, to how they have things now, what happens when they disagree? And I, I guess that's the question I have, Nate, and um, we don't know the answer to that, but what do you think the answer would be to that? Like if, you know, Stefanski said, I believe during his opening press conference that he enjoys the player evaluation process of the draft. You know, so if he's going in and, you know, watching these offensive tackles, for instance, and says, oh boy, I really like Jedrick Wills from Alabama. But Andrew Barry says, oh man, I, I'm a, um, I'm a Tristan Wirfs guy from Iowa. How does that tie get broken? You know, like that, that's, that's what I want to know. What do you think happens in that instance? It's a, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, the Browns have had this structure for a while, then they departed from it when Freddie Kitchen started reporting to John Dorsey, and now those guys are gone, so they're back to all reporting to Haslam again. <laughs> um, you know, Andrew Barry has control of the 53-man roster, so, you know, that's, that's his final say. Um, however, you know, in the, in the real... Uh, life scenario you're presenting you know is it just going to be as simple as andrew barry saying well i have control of 53 man roster look it's in my contract so right the offensive tackle i prefer is obviously the one we're going to pick um that would be problematic too uh you know if they're talking about this alignment collaboration being on the same page so you know i i think that Paul D. Podesta is going to ultimately have, uh, you know, a, a big say when it comes to um, you know, those kinds of uh, scenarios that we're, that we're talking about. And he said, you know, he's not going to pick the players. You know, he's all about overseeing and developing the processes to pick players rather than picking them. Um, but he's also all about making sure that everybody in the organization in the organization maintains that alignment they, they want. And so I think that role of tiebreaker is going to be part of that for him. And I, look how powerful he is now, Dan. I mean, first of all, as often as the Haslam's fire people, he's been around <laughs> since January 5th, 2016. And he said that he, you know, he's obviously working on an expired contract, but he said back on January 14th during after Stefanski's introductory news conference when we talked to him as a, as a, as a group of beat writers that he expects to be back and of course he's going to expect to be back he just got his head coach and his GM like everything is finally the way Paul D. Podesta wants it like so I have no doubt that you know he's as powerful uh, as anyone has ever been under Haslam um and he's more powerful than he's ever been in this organization. So I would look to him as tiebreaker, overseer, um, and, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the guy who would really matter most in the scenario you're presenting. 
I really would, Dan. I, and I hope the answer is not Jimmy Haslam, or D. Haslam, or J.W. Johnson, their son-in-law, who's executive vice president. You know that when the, when when Jimmy talks about D. Podesta, Andrew Berry, Kevin Stefanski reporting ownership, he's not he's talking about those three people, the the the, the Haslams and J.W. Johnson. So uh, that's another part of it. It's not just one owner, you know. So right. There's a lot of layers to this organization, Dan. Right. <laughs> but I would say DPS is really, really powerful, and that's my answer to your question right now. Yeah. So that, that's kind of getting into the the deep of the pessimistic, you know, muck in the mire of what could happen. We'll see if it if it does. Who knows? But um, Nate. But you have to. I mean, yes, that, you that, have that, to wonder. That, I mean, that you have to wonder the way things have gone here for so long. Right. So. That's not you just crapping on the Browns to crap on the Browns. That's you being fair and looking at the history here. And, um, you know, people have to understand that, you know, I had a, I had a reader email me the other day, and I think this is interesting because I, when I wrote about the George Payton withdrawing from the race story, to me that was a, a story about George Payton. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our guys, and I thank him for his support and everything and for reading, uh, one of our uh, our readers said, you know, you, you need to get more into the 1-31 and under Andrew Barry because that's a real concern, you know. And we, we did talk about it on the podcast. And I emailed him back and said, well, there's going to be plenty of that in writing about Andrew Barry. This was more of a pain story, so I didn't really delve into all the ins and outs of Andrew Barry's track record and resume and everything. I certainly have <laughs> in this story about his hire. But I guess my point is, like, that's hanging over his head now. And we talked about it. It's like, you know, he, he did not have control of the 53-man roster. That was Sashi Brown. You know, D. Podesta certainly was there and, and laying out the, the overall strategy during 1-31. and um, Andrew Berry was like, uh, you know, a, a talent evaluator, uh, a, you know, a, a leader of the per- player personnel department, a, a, you know, above a scout, but basically the manager of all the scouts. And they submit their findings to – to Sashi Brown, but Sashi Brown was making all those calls, and so Andrew Barry, how culpable was he? You know, the Haslam's no, De Podesta knows, and some of the decisions led to one in thirty-one, especially passing on Carson Wentz, passing on Sean Watson. Um, but you know, he's guilty by association. So it's not just this weird structure, and you know, the power grabs that could be at play, and everybody having Haslam's ear, but. It's Andrew Berry coming back with that one in thirty-one history, and and Paul D. Podesta having it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's you know I'm sure Andrew Berry will have to answer for that when when he is introduced. But uh, be that as it may, Nate, let let's talk about the job he has now to do with the Browns. If we're to map out a little bit some of his priorities this off season. What is the the top priority for him from Jump Street? Well, I think the top priority is. And I asked Kevin Stefanski about this his introductory news conference on January fourteenth. It's how committed are you to this core? This you know the main group. I mean, there are all kinds of kind of fringe guys or you know uh, supporting cast guys who who we're going to talk about too. But I'm talking about the, the main nucleus. Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt on offense. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, 
on defense. Your young star players. How committed are you to that group? Um, because I think that's really important. And, and, it's, and obviously they're all under contract. Dream Hunt um, technically isn't because he's going to be eligible for a restricted free agency. We can get into that more later. But the bottom line is the Browns hold his rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of money wrapped up in the receivers because they're veterans or they're, they're established guys. The other guys we're talking about are, are, are on uh, rookie contracts. Um, and, you know, th- this is this is an, an important strategy and, and, and vision that, that you're going to have to be in lockstep with because not that you have to, uh, you know, get going on all this stuff immediately, but it's going to affect a lot of decisions because we talked about how much salary cap space the Browns are working with and how they're eventually going to have to pay guys, so that's going to change. Well, those are the guys we're all talking about, you know. So the evaluations, philosophies, and visions as it pertains to those players, to that group, and how it affects the overall strategy moving forward, I think is something that, you know, they really need to to map out. And not that they're going to have all the answers at the very beginning, but I think that they need to kind of uh, have a direction in mind. And I think that, that that's just crucial. Uh, I really do. Um, beyond that, I know you had a bunch of ideas, but that's kind of my, my big picture, Dan. And I think one of your main thoughts w- would be piggybacking off that. Yes. Yeah. And that OBJ, right? Yeah, it is. That's the, out of that nucleus group, which, which you, uh, named perfectly, I think he's the one that sticks out the most. I, I think the Baker Mayfield one is a Kevin Stefanski issue, first and foremost, and getting him back on track. So that, that kind of checks him off for me. You mentioned uh, Hunt. I, that, that one we'll get to in a little bit, I think. Um, but that could take care of itself. Chubb and Ward, to me, are to some degree... They, they are absolutely in that nucleus, but it's not a problem they have to figure out right now. So that, that one's gone. Miles Garrett, we're going to talk about him here in a little bit. There's an important date we, we need to cover with him. Um, Jarvis Landry, I think, has kind of, to some degree, made himself indispensable for the Cleveland Browns. Just from a, you know what you're getting, you know what you're getting on the field and off the field. Beckham, though is the fascinating one, Nate. The Browns, right now, they're projected to be spending the fourth most money in the league on wide receivers next season at $31.5 million, according to SpotDrack. And that is a lot of money for a team where you hired a head coach who, you know, he, he said he wants to establish the run. We know he does a lot of play action. And we know he does a lot of multiple tight end things. So having that much money tied up at wide receiver is kind of like a, sticks out like a sore thumb for me. And I I can't drop the notion of the Browns exploring what they do with Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, he has a big contract, both in terms of money and years, but coming off a not great season on the field 
the stuff off the field, the culture stuff that people always try and talk about even though they don't know exactly what it is, including myself, but um, there, there is that part of it too. So that to me, Nate, is, is the biggest thing. You have to figure out, are we going to roll with Odell Beckham? And I, I don't know how soon they, they prioritize that, but I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, Andrew Barry is going to be tasked with off, off the bat. So that, that to me is number one in his, his list of priorities. Then the next one after that, boy, and it, it, it ties into the draft, is how do you fix this offensive line? I mean, it's, it looks like it's going to be a very good offensive tackle year in the draft, but as, as you said before we started recording, Barry has a penchant for being, a, I guess, being in an organization that traded down a lot while he was there. And now he's back in charge, and is he going to move off the 10th pick, and do you risk missing out on a very good offensive tackle? So I have offensive line as like his second biggest priority to figure out. Where do you, where do you stand on, you know, after the nucleus stuff, what is Barry's biggest issue uh well I, I mean i agree with the the offensive line um being something that has to be upgraded both tackle spots um you know if, if, if you're gonna run in, in the you know kyle shanahan uh, i shouldn't say kyle shanahan just shanahan period shanahan kubiak um you know, system mm-hmm. with with the zone blocking that fuels that running game. Um, you know, and, and the play action passing that comes off it. You're going to have the right. You got to have the right athletic lineman who can really move well. And you know, I think that the Browns have pretty much the the, the linemen that you think are the good linemen are the ones who are going to be able to to do that just fine and that's Joel Batonio and, and JC Treader left guard center but yeah you're you're really going to have to upgrade the offensive line um, period and then not only are you going to have to upgrade but you're going to have to do it in the vision of Kevin Stefanski and and, and and make sure that you get the kind of linemen who have the skills to to run that, that scheme because it is different you know it is a little bit different it does require a little bit different skill set than, than um, some of the others so you know I think that that's going to be vital but it's going to be you know at, once you get past that nucleus question you're looking at offensive linemen and and uh, you know you're going to you're going to be talking about at the combine as early as you know February 25th through March 2nd you're going to be at the combine and that's when those deals start to happen Dan and how 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 willing or uh, determined are the Browns going to be to trade down like given the track record Paul D. Podesta and Sashi Brown um, if we're to assume that, that Paul D. Podesta and, and Andrew Barry are going to have um, you know similar uh, philosophies and strategies about trading down then you know I would not be surprised at all in fact uh, I'd probably lean toward them trading down being more likely than not hmm. you know uh, just based on what we know about how they've operated. So, you know, you're going to have to look at your evaluation. Like you said, Dan, are you going to be able to get 
the upgraded offensive tackle that you need if you do decide to trade down and um you know that's going to be a big thing and, and then free agency you know because the uh window to negotiate um with uh you know impending uh unrestricted unrestricted free agents uh is march 16th uh the new league year so free agency trades all the trades can be trades can be agreed upon before this but they can be finalized and, and uh you know free agents can sign 4 p.m march 18th is the new league year that's the key date so they're going to have some, some decisions to make. And what I think is kind of interesting is out of like the key unrestricted free agents that we're looking at, Greg Robinson, left tackle, you know, I don't expect him back. Um, Demarius Randall, free safety, I don't expect him back. Uh, Joe Schobert, linebacker, Rashard Higgins, wide receiver. I really didn't expect them back, uh, but guess what? Here we go with Andrew Berry coming in. And his history with those players, you know, Joe Schobert and Rashard Higgins were drafted when Barry was with the Browns the first time. Uh, so I think that that now becomes really interesting for these players. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Particularly, look, I, I, th- I think Higgins is okay. And we, we talked a lot last season how he kind of got a raw deal by Freddie Kitchens. And he just wasn't put uh-huh. on the field. But to me, he you know, he's a... A fourth wide receiver or something. Joe Schobert is the fascinating one. And when when he said during the season, you know, the Browns weren't offering him a contract yet, that's quite frankly, Nate, that's when I started wondering, you know, about John Dorsey's future in, in Cleveland. But I, I think that's a great point that Barry might have a different opinion of him and it could be good for Schobert's future in Cleveland, assuming he wants it. But then you also had to figure, you know, you're 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 going to have Christian Kirksey back. Mac Wilson looked good at times. I thought he was a little spotty, but you'd expect that from a fifth round rookie. You you have Sione Takitaki. Is the Browns roster at such a point where there just isn't a spot for Joe Schobert? I don't know. That's that's going to be for Andrew Barry to figure out, but. That's going to be interesting, and in, in what happens with him, I, I think that is a very high priority move and decision he has to make with with Joe Schobert. So, I think that one's fascinating. I think, you know, the free agent stuff. Look, it, it you don't have to be a genius to say, you know, the the Browns should be in play for someone like. Redskins guard Brandon Scherf because Bill Callahan had him in Washington and the Browns have money and they have a need there and that kind of stuff. Um, so the free agency thing is going to be interesting. You know, I, I my fear is people get their hopes up about free agency and you know you don't get all the guys you want. Like I have a list of the best safeties in free agency this year. I, I'm not gonna be hopeful that the Browns can sign Justin Simmons of the Broncos or Anthony Harris of the Vikings because those guys can get franchised. So um, I, I don't know. Free agency is going to be interesting, but it, it to me it's not as big on Barry's priority list, I guess, because it's a little bit out of your control somewhat than you know, what happens with that nucleus, how you fix the offensive line, what do you do with Schobert, um, and then the the big one 
is this date that you mentioned before we started, May 3rd. Tell everybody the importance of May 3rd in, in regard to Andrew Barry. Well, May 3rd um, is a deadline. So if you want to exercise a fifth-year option on, on one of your, well, this year it would be 2017 first-round draft picks, then you have to uh, send a letter to that player prior to May 3rd. Um, announcing that you're you're doing so, or notifying that player you're doing so. So Miles Garrett's a no-brainer. They uh, will do that. The Browns expect him, have expected him for a long time to be reinstated um, by the start of the 2020 season. After that uh, suspension that wiped out the last six games of the year for him from the uh, Mason Rudolph fight, um, they had another first round pick who was gone Jabril Peppers traded to the New York Giants and then the other guy is another like Rashard Higgins had injury um, had dispute with Freddie Kitchens about you know the timing of return to play over an injury and that's David Njoku a 29th overall pick in, in 2017 and uh, Another guy who looked like he didn't have a future with the Browns now may have new life because Andrew Barry was part of the group that drafted him first overall. And I think that anyone who knows anything about the Browns and David Njoku thinks that this guy is tremendously talented but has just not put it all together. And 2019 was definitely a lost year for him because of that broken wrist and the surgery and then the clashing with Freddie. So, um, yeah, that's the date to watch for those fifth-year options. Another date, uh, going back a minute, March 18th was not only a day. The new league year, there's so much that happens, right? It's not just the trades, the unrestricted free agents, but you would have to tender your um, your restricted free agents. So that's that's the cream hunt date. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and – and then April 17th is the deadline for restricted free agents to sign offer sheets with other teams. So, you know, it, basically the Browns have to decide, are they going to put a first round tender, a second round tender or an original round tender on Kareem Hunt? Um, and then, you know, if they put it uh, first or second, or he's drafted in the third round. So that would be his original round tender. You know, if, if, if another team, signs him to an offer sheet and the Browns decline to match, uh, then they would get that draft pick compensation in exchange for him going out the door. But the Browns do have the right of first refusal, so that's what it, what I meant earlier when I said the Browns have his rights. You know, they, they have him under control that way. What's interesting about Kareem Hunt is the off-field, right? How much, how much does this new group want to gamble on him? Like, in my mind, when John Dorsey was in charge, I thought... John Dorsey is going to tender Kareem Hunt as a restricted free agent, whatever level. And then if somebody comes along and signs him to an offer sheet, John Dorsey's going to match. He's going to do whatever it takes to keep Kareem Hunt. That's his guy. He drafted him in Kansas City. He threw him the lifeline uh, in Cleveland after you know the video emerged of him shoving and kicking a woman and, and all that controversy that he became um, involved with. So... Uh, in my mind, John Dorsey, no-brainer. Kareem Hunt's coming back. John Dorsey's gone, and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see 
how badly the Browns want Kareem Hunt back with this new group in charge. You know, these guys, these guys didn't draft him. These guys didn't throw him the lifeline. Um, the main reason Kareem Hunt is in Cleveland is because of John Dorsey. And John Dorsey is gone, so let's see what happens. Kareem Hunt, um, you know, he obviously has been in the news lately. So I think that that's something to consider as well, you know. Um, I have this police report here in my hand. He was pulled over on January 22nd, last Tuesday, for speeding in Rocky River. And um, the police officers searched the vehicle because they're detected an odor of marijuana and he found small amounts of marijuana in a backpack on the back seat. Kareem Hunt was not cited for the marijuana, but he was cited uh, for speeding. So, you know, not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things, except for it's Kareem Hunt and all the off-field issues that he has already dealt with. And yeah, he was not cited for marijuana, um, but the league could still dig into this and uh you know it'll be interesting to see given his history the eight game suspension that he served last year the league will decide to punish him i will tell you this dan i don't know a lot about it so i'm not going to go in depth with it right now but while we were recording um tmz posted a video of the um from the the police officer's dash cam mm. uh, of the traffic stop and there are some quotes in this, I haven't had a chance to watch the video because we've been on the phone here recording, but there's some quotes in here um, that, you know, kind of paint this in a, in a in more of a negative light than even the uh, incident report would suggest. Things like um, Cream Hunt, you know, saying that um, if this were, uh, you know, if he were to be tested by the NFL, that he could fail a drug test. You know, I mean, that, that quote's in there. Again, I haven't watched the video. I don't know verbatim if this is transcribed accurately by TMZ. Um, I'm a stickler for those kinds of things, so I would listen to every word and make sure that it's, you know, accurately quoted. But, you know, that's what's in this post that I'm looking at right now. So, wonderful. again, <laughs> with Kareem Hunt, how much do you want to uh, trust him? And how how much investment do you want to put into them? And if a team comes along with with a nice um, offer, do you just want to say, yeah, it's not worth it. We already have Nick Chubb, uh, and we could get burned by this guy. And on the flip side, is any team actually going to have the balls to make a nice offer sheet uh, or to present a nice offer sheet with this stuff kind of hanging over his head as well? Right, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky for what the Browns do with him ultimately with a tender because... You know, they can put any any tender you mentioned on him, but there's a price for each of those. You know, according to over the cap, the projected tender for a first round is, you know, just over $4.5 million. And that number goes up if the salary cap goes up. For a second round tender, it's $3.2 million. For a original round tender, it's two point one. So, you, you know, you have to, if you're the Browns and Andrew Barry, you have to weigh, do we commit... You know, four and a half or more million dollars for Kareem Hunt as a first round tender? I think the answer is no. Um, second round, maybe. Original round, and maybe hope someone bites and takes it? I, I think that's possible too. So we'll see, but that, that's important. Those are some important dates. And 
you know, you're, you're also getting to the point where you have to think about how much money you're going to have because you're going to have to give Miles Garrett a huge contract uh, unless something really wacky happens, which I, which I don't think would happen. But eventually you're going to have to give him big money. Larry Ogunjobi is going to be due up after the season two. Um, you're going to potentially have to give him a, a nice chunk of money. So there's, there's a lot of financial stuff that Andrew Barry needs to get a hold of. Um, so that, that all that stuff's going to be interesting. Um, you have to figure out... Browns fans are fascinated by Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and what their future is. So yeah. I... To me, Nate, if I had to guess, I, I would guess they're here through the draft and maybe, yep. maybe gone after that. Uh, Typically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that would be my guess with them. Um, anything else Andrew Barry related before we let you out of here so you can go watch some police footage? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It's great. Yeah, great. Um, no, just that, um, you know, Andrew might be the youngest uh, GM in NFL history. Hmm. Um I don't know for sure. Uh, hmm. Checking on that still, um, but he's 32, so that's pretty young. Yeah, I'm. And uh, hmm. you know that there is a lot to like about him. I mean, you know, some some like I said, some fans are just not going to be able to get over the one and 31 uh, on his watch. Um, but again, I just I don't know how fair that is uh, because. He wasn't the ultimate decision maker there. wasn't one of the two top decision makers when it came to came to strategy and player acquisition. So, like Kevin Stefanski, I'm really gonna, uh, you know, make a concerted effort to to be fair, to give him a chance, uh, to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, at the same time acknowledging that the Browns don't deserve it as an organization because of everything that's gone on and all the, all the turnover. I mean, he's going to be the sixth head of football <laughs> since the Haslam's bought the team in 2012. I mean, it's just the turnover really is maddening. It's insane. Um, it's no way to achieve sustained success. So, yeah, organization doesn't deserve it. I think these individuals do. And, uh, you know, just like anything, we have to see how it goes. Um, Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith, I think they're really good football guys. Same. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, obviously I think a, a lot of Dorsey and have been on the record saying I think the Browns would be haunted by that decision to move on from him. I, I'm not saying that Andrew Barry can't be a good successor, but I just I think you're making a, a, a big gamble when you give up on a guy. Um who has such a good eye for talent and is really, really good at acquiring it the way John Dorsey was. So not a perfect GM, had flaws. Cream Hunt is a reflection of that in some ways. I think he's too willing to make too many gambles on characteristic guys. But I still think that he's really good at his job, and I think that he brought in some really good top lieutenants in Elliott Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith. But usually the way this goes, and it may be one of them, could be the exception to the rule is that they, they generally move on when, when somebody else is brought in to be the GM and oversee them. Um, but I do agree with you, Dan. Typically, that's the way it works. These personnel guys, their contracts go through the draft. So it's usually after 
the draft. Usually in May is where we see the shakeups in the player personnel departments throughout the NFL. Right. So that, that's kind of mapping the Andrew Barry hire and his offseason coming up. If you guys have anything else in mind that Andrew Barry needs to, to really be concentrating on, tell us what we missed out on. Feel free. But for now, that's going to do it. Nate's going to go dig into some police dash cam footage, which is just the worst always. Um, I, I say that from experience on the news end of things with weird stuff. But anyway, Nate's going to go do that. I'm going to go upload this, which you'll you already know about already because you're listening to me say that right now. So that's going to do it for the Cover 2 podcast. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich, And you can find all of his coverage of the team over at beaconjournal.com slash browns. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time.